Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Are you ready? Hey guys, come on, bring it in. Welcome back to the podcast dedicated to the most precious human pastime. I sit down with friends, idols, and inspirations of mine to shoot the breeze about music, life, whatever. I'm Gregory Porter, and this is The Hang. I'm just outside of the doctor's office, actually, here in Bakersfield, California, to find out if I'm having a new baby girl or baby boy. So that just that just ended. I'm having a baby boy. So... <laughs> So you might hear a little uh, street noise here in uh, sunny Bakersfield, California. Let's get into it. Since his breakthrough in 2016, I followed this singer's story through his music and his voice. They've never pressured me to do anything that I felt wasn't conducive to who I am as an artist. And it's like, just make what feels right to you to make. And Because you keep making hits. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I get to unveil what makes Rag and Bone Man so human after all. I was just like making up stuff on the spot and then people would start rapping and then... <laughs> so you were like the Nate dog of the Brighton scene, right? Kinda, without the bowler hat. <laughs> and I'm delighted that he's agreed to be our final guest for season two of The Hang. Rag and Bone Man <laughs> joining me. How you doing, man? On the on the hang, man. I'm doing great, bro. Doing great. It's been uh has it been like three, four years? It's gotta be it's, it's gotta be three or four years, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> Can't remember, was it a regular show or a hoop nanny that we did for Jules Holland? Oh yeah, it was four years ago because it was 2017 New Year's Eve. Okay, so it yeah. was the hootenanny. Yeah, it okay. was. Yeah, man. This time flies, and your your career has been flying. Your life has been flying. Your music has been flying. You know, something that struck me about when I was listening to your music this morning is you're, you're like me in that message, 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 message is, is like most important for you messaging in the music, even the backing to your powerful voice, but also the roots where you come from musically. How do you come about? How do you, how are you created? You know, <laughs> how are you created musically and artistically? So I like, I like to call it like the rubble of music, like the foundations of, of what Okay, I guess sort of builds you as a person and and build you as a, an artist or whatever. I mean, like I I remember being super young and my mum and dad just having this great taste in music and both very different. My mum was very into folk music, um, kind of traditional Scottish and Irish and English folk music. And at that time, I was like, I don't really like this. This is not me. <laughs> you know, right. I, I didn't really feel it, but. My dad had left a bunch of records at our house and uh, 
in those records, there was some some stuff that just struck me straight away when I played it. One of those records, the first record that kind of hit me was was Muddy Waters. Was was I'm ready, Muddy Waters. He, he, that was that was something that was like he, 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 I remember you know being about nine or ten years old and hearing that bark of his voice coming out of a record player yeah, you know yeah and the way he sung was like it was a, such a presence and um, it just made me go oh man I have no idea as a nine year old child what he's talking about but I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna learn about what this, this guy's talking about Right. So, and that was that was like that was the very first thing I kind of remember as something that's really struck a chord with me. Um, mm-hmm. And then I kind of sifted through these records, and and then I found Howling Wolf, uh, another like big voice that that struck out at me. Stuff like Elmore James. Wow. These like real big voices that just like they're such a powerful presence. Um, yeah. And I didn't really know anything about songwriting at the time, or well, like I say, what they were talking about, but it was just the instant, like it's it's there straight away. And, and authenticity, the the uh, the real, the soul, mm-hmm. the heart. Yeah, and it was just it just it just made me sit back in my seat and be like, oh, uh-huh. well, this is me. <laughs> you say your mother was was listening to to Irish and Scottish and, and English folk music? Yeah. Where are her, her roots? Well, she, she's kind of been a singer all, all her life. She is she not in a professional sense, but we always went to, I, I guess you call them like folk clubs where everybody would be in a small room and you would go around the people in the room and each person would play a song on a guitar or a banjo or accordion or whatever it was. And it was such a sort of, Every is all about stories, like everything yeah. was about stories in that in that sense. And I maybe didn't appreciate it as much at the time because it, it wasn't cool to me, you know. <laughs> being, being that age, yeah, as my my friends were all like listening to like Snoop Dogg or someone's listening to like Metallica and stuff, and I'm like, I'm sitting at the folk club tonight listening to someone uh, talk about a mining disaster in, <laughs> you know. Um, but then, but then years later, I, I, I really appreciated that. And I, I remember the stories and I, I, I remember it kind of fondly, even though at the time I maybe didn't appreciate it. Yeah. Rory, let me tell you, man, this is my exact experience. Uh, growing up, I'm, like, I, you know, you may know my mother was a minister. And so, mm-hmm. but she, was, um, uh, she wasn't one of like these new, new style ministers. She was old school. And she loved to go to churches where the congregation was very old for real. because she felt like she was going to get something real and authentic. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up in this church where the minister, the pastor of the church had built the church. It was this tiny church. And when it first started off, it had a dirt floor. <laughs> and the people who were in the church were all 80, 90 years old. Yeah. And they were singing this old, old Black American country gospel blues. Now, I was, this was in California, but the music was from the South, Texas, Louisiana, uh, Arkansas, uh, Tennessee. And so, um, so I'm learning this music uh, 
Oh, now, here, now, now, there were these churches that had all of these slick singers and these slick bands with, with drummers and guitar players and, and organs and big choirs. That's where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. But my mother had me in this church singing with no air conditioning. It was hot, singing with all these old people. And at the time, I have to say, in, in, in a, you know, I actually hated it at the time. But then over time, and even now I think of it, and it's like, these, those, were, those were golden moments. And in many ways, foundationally, enormously important in my career. I go back to that place and to that wailing and to that depth of human expression with the voice yeah. to make my music right now. Yeah. So when you talk about being in this room with all these old, you know, accordions and, and you know, <laughs> accordion ain't never been cool in a rock band but it's <laughs> you know you think of it now it's like man i want to do a song with an accordion you know yeah you know? for real for real but foundational stuff that can be sometimes like medicine but so real so real i think it definitely it, it definitely taught me about the um the importance of you believing somebody when they're, when they're saying what they're saying in a song because going back to those days being in a folk club with my mum, it was like, it was just one guy on his own singing sometimes, no music around him. And maybe this guy couldn't even sing that well, but because yeah. it was just him by himself, I remember to the to this day, some of the songs that this guy was singing because there was nothing around it, no distractions. And yeah. like I said, it was all about the story. So whether he could sing yeah. real good or not, I, I remember the, the stories to this day. You know, sometimes the perfect voice, the perfect voice can get in the way of a story. Mm-hmm. The, the, sometimes you can you can be sitting and admiring a person's voice and, and lose the story. So sometimes that in between space of not a perfect voice and a great story is can be the most the most powerful, most powerful thing. You said something earlier. I don't know if it was a throwaway or or you said your father left some records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He um well him him and my mum split when I was super young. Like I think I was like, okay. maybe like three or four years old. Yeah. But he'd left all of his records at the house. And okay. um I'm glad he did because you know right. <laughs> otherwise I, I maybe would have been very different. But um right. I remember just being encouraged though to just even at that young age like I I, my son goes to my record collection now and he'll pull stuff out. And I'm like, no, that's an original press. Don't touch that one. No, 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 no. Like, like but my, my, my mom didn't care. She, I, I mean, maybe because they were my dad's, she was like, yeah, go ahead, do what you want. But right, right, yeah, I was right. encouraged to pick up the ones that I maybe thought looked cool and just put it on the player and, 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 and play the records, you know? Wow. And your, your son is how old? He's just coming up four. He'll be four this this August. Uh-huh. I yeah. see some awesome videos of you two together. <laughs> yeah. Uh on your social media. Yeah. And that's 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 really cool. And like me, I suspect that your son, your child, has found a way 
into your music or that you are speaking to him in your music. You know, I feel like sometimes that I don't know why I have this idea that I might not be around. <laughs> you know, that's that maybe I live till 90. I don't know. But I feel like after you have a child, you're constantly dropping, leaving things for them. You know, I'm leaving messages and stories and parts of me in the music for him to discover when he's when he's, you know, grown, maybe has his own kids. Are you doing that in your music? Oh, for real, man. It's 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 totally changed me as a songwriter for this for this last album that I've written. It's really just a reoccurring theme on this record. And I called the record Life by Misadventure. And it's kind of meant to be a timeline of of past and how how I wasn't such a great kid and uh, we didn't, we got in a lot of trouble and, you know, my, those kind of years were kind of fucked up really. And then, and then, uh, and then like, and then like the present now where, you know, you get that overwhelming sense of you've got to be somebody else when you, when you're entering fatherhood and you've, you've, you've got to change, you know, your responsibilities are different. Your priorities are different you're maybe different spiritually, all of these things come into play and also about the world that I've actually brought him into and how I'm worried about his future because we live in such a crazy time um, that I want to teach him as much as possible at at an early age. Um, So that's, you know, played a lot, big part in this music that I've written since he's been born. Um, because yeah. it's it's kind of about lessons and and about how how I want him to be free when he grows up and free to yeah. be who he wants to be, free to love who he wants to love, and and yeah. um, and that he doesn't have to be that that man that uh, keeps everything inside, and he doesn't, you know, we learn from our mistakes as men like we really should, and um, yeah. and and you know, not be told not to cry and stuff like that. So. That's the reoccurring theme in, in the record that I've recently written. And um, yeah, yeah as I say, it totally changed it, man. Did, did you make this record in, during the pandemic in the last year or, or had you started on it earlier? I wrote all the songs with um, my, my, my pianist, Ben. He's in my band. Um, yeah. We wrote all the songs together like kind of like six months previous so yeah, kind of lucky we didn't. We weren't writing it within the mists of that because that maybe would have changed it a lot. Colored, colored the situation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, <laughs> but luckily, death, you know? I feel like uh, I was in a very positive place when when I was writing the record, and and it's yeah. it's it's so it's a different color than it would have been. Um, but <laughs> but what we record- the record the recording as well or no we recorded the record so I went out to um, a place called Gallatin which is just outside of Nashville in Tennessee I'm familiar with it yeah it's just kind of in the middle of nowhere sort of place but um uh-huh. my producer Mike Elizondo he has a place out there he moved from LA to there we met him previously and I was like can we come and record the record at yours. And he was like, yeah. I was like, well, let's go. So, but when we went, the pandemic had just hit. So we got out there. And weirdly, we got to the studio and there's a house next to the studio. And we had to stay in the house for two weeks previous to being able to record with the studio studio next door. But we can't go in the studio because we're like 
We got <laughs> so we got to stay in the house. So we actually had out of like a month, I think we had like eight days to record the record. Wow. So we had all this wow. time set out and uh, it was lucky we knew the record, how to play it and shit. Cause, right, right, you know, right, right. Um, well, you had some time to, uh, to, to marinate, uh, you know, before yeah, you got into the studio. Yeah. But, you know, the interesting thing is being in Nashville, creatively, e- even this is a thing that, I, that I've heard about Nashville. Uh, there's so much music that comes out of Nashville, more than just country music. I mean, gospel music, soul music, there's a lot of music being created and written there. But even the, the uh, Native Americans believed the soil in Nashville to be a, a powerful, creative, and spiritual place. For real. So it's cool that you went there to make a record. I felt Very that cool. when, when I first went to Nashville to write some songs, the first time we ever, we ever, we ever went there, it, it was like a, a different energy, man. Like, yeah, we'd, we'd written sort of half the record in the UK, but we, you know, we, you, you sometimes come to a, uh, a halt with, with writing songs. And it just got to that point where I, don't, I was like, I don't have anything else. I've got nothing. So we went out to Nashville to, to actually write some songs. And there was a, there was a change in pace, a change in attitude, whatever it was gave me a new feeling of like, oh, I've got something else to say now. So it was it was a real blessing, man, being able to go out there and work with some people. Yeah, very cool, man. Hey guys, you're listening to The Hang. Hit subscribe or follow on your podcast thingamajig of choice to get every episode of The Hang fresh off the presses. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. And you're coming up, you know, you're coming up in the, in the hip-hop era too. Was that, is that a part of your, uh, your, your musical story? Yeah, like... My my first kind of um, experience of recording on tracks, of of writing lyrics was 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 over hip hop beats really because I decided I don't know maybe fifteen years ago that I would move to Brighton which is not far from where I live now but it was right. a, it was a long way away creatively a long way away culturally because where where I lived was a small town with not much going on 
there wasn't much music happening. No one really recording music. So I was like, I'm going to move to Brighton and, and try and meet some people that want the same thing as me. Yeah. And it just so happened the first night that I went to was like an open mic hip hop night. And people were people were playing like Jay Dilla beats and Pete Rock beats and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, I can get down and sing over that shit. So I was just I was just like making up stuff on the spot. And then people would start rapping and then we would sing over that bit and someone else would come in and start rapping. And then we just I ended up forming like a crew together of people. Yeah. And um and for like a good three or four years after that, we gigged and did festivals and supported all the hip hop acts that came over to the UK. Yeah, Man, was, so was, you were like you were like the Nate dog of the Brighton scene, right? Kinda, kinda, <laughs> yeah, without the bowler hat, but yeah. <laughs> wow, that is dope, dope, dope. Did you ever delve into the world of kind of hip hop stuff? Have you ever done anything? You know, I wanted to. The very first. Um, <laughs> I don't know if this record can ever be found. You know, I always say the first person to record me was, um, you know, musically was Hubert Laws, the, the jazz flautist. But before that, there was this rapper and he was taking a bunch of Marvin Gaye songs and rapping over Marvin Gaye songs. So I was singing all of Marvin's hooks. You know, he I, I would just, just do like, oh, mercy, mercy me. Yeah. Yeah. All things ain't what they used to be. They bumped, <laughs> so I have no idea where that record is. And then he also took did some Marvin Gaye, and then he took up like a bunch of you know dirty, nasty songs. But I was singing the the, the hook on it. Mm -hmm. So he invited me into the studio, paid me like thirty three dollars, you know, for twenty songs. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know he made this this uh this hip-hop record i don't know where the record is i don't know what happened to the rapper but uh i always wanted to be the nate dog i always wanted to sing the hooks on some of these uh hip-hop tunes you know but i always you know wanted it to be with like a group like you know like tribe called quest or, yeah. or or you know something like that you know soulful somebody that was mixing in jazz in, into the into the vibe yeah. It never happened to me. I, I, I wanted it. I, I put it out there, but it never worked out for me. But uh, but I love hip hop music. All I love all different types of genres of music, country music, folk music. None of no music scares me or is not within something that I can enjoy because I'm connected to message, the story, the very thing that you that you were talking about when you were talking about those kind of folk gatherings that you, that, that you went to. The story, the story, the story. A thing that singing hooks in a hip-hop group can do for you is give you the strength to understand the hook. Mm -hmm. That's what you have. Yeah. You understand the hook yeah. and bam, it hits so hard, man. <laughs> It hits so hard. And and if you don't know the rest of the song, you're going to know I'm only human. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. i tell you what else it did for me. At the time, I didn't think so, but I remember being super shy to sing in front of people. Yeah. Um, those first few times doing that was like, I don't know, I used to do that or just like that. Yeah. I put my hood up or whatever. 
yeah. But, but after a while, man, it was just it just became like this is this is cool. It, it, I didn't I didn't have any of those nerves anymore, and um, yeah, you know, I think having that prior to sort of my career getting bigger helped me with the with that with that kind of stage presence thing and being able to just sing and look someone in in the eyes or you know or p- picture that person six rows back and look them in the eyes and tell them right. your story you know and, <laughs> that's um, what i do six yeah. rows back <laughs> yeah <laughs> but like yeah that's the thing like i i i remember seeing a lot of hip-hop packs at the time and and um people that i loved but then seeing them live and not necessarily really getting the stage presence. It was sometimes a bit of a lackluster of performance in terms of like, yeah. it sounded all right, but there was no engagement with the audience or anything like that. Yeah. So, And when I see people live, the people that I remember are the people, not only that sound good, but sometimes have that charisma and just a little bit of, even if not much is said, just a little yeah. bit of rapport with the audience and be able to speak to them talk or just through songs or whatever, just engage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, it's been a, a journey for me. I grew up in a family of, of eight, eight kids. And you think that I would, you know, that all of us would be extroverts and the ones busting forward for attention to grab the food. But I, um, I was quite shy. I was, I saw all the other kids in, in my family always vying for my mother's attention. I always like, oh man, she must be tired. I was the empathetic one. So I would always just lay back and just be an observer a lot. Yeah. And that had an effect on my music. When, when it was discovered, you know, my, when my mother said, you know, baby, you, you have a, a special voice. I was six or seven years old. That extreme shyness was there. And it was quite a difficult thing to be you know, around my brothers and, and, and sisters who are always saying, go ahead, Gregory, sing, sing. Let him hear you sing. And I was, <laughs> I was the last one who really wanted to sing. Yeah. So it was a journey, finally, to find that comfort. Do you remember a point where it, bec- it became comfortable? Um, yes. I think the funny thing is, is they were separate. In church, it was very different because I would put everything on the power of, of God and the power of that's what was creating the commotion. That's what created the hand claps. Mm-hmm. I would put it all on the spirituality and I wouldn't claim it at all. So I wouldn't even take responsibility for my, for my gift. But then when I, when I took it outside of the church, I, at my very first talent show in high school, I was performing against uh, the band Corn. Nah, for they, real. They went to my high school. <laughs> but they weren't called corn then. I don't know what they were, you know, fantasy lovers or something like that. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I performed for them. I performed in the talent show. Yeah. And after the talent, I won the talent show, but after the talent show, damn near the entire school came up one by one and gave me, gave me a hug on, on stage. And it totally just took away all of the, all of this fear thing. I got a standing ovation and I didn't even come back out to receive the standing ovation. My brother, my brother went out to the front of the stage and received my standing ovation, you know, so. (laughs) Amazing, man. That's amazing. So that was, that was the, uh, that was the moment kind of that got me over because I, I saw 
that a, a secular audience, an audience of regular people, unconnected to this, you know, this spirituality, enjoyed what I was doing. And, and it moved them and it affected them. So, yeah, that was, it was a cool moment for me. And, and after that, I proudly kind of raised my head and sang. Yeah. Amazing. What a story. Yeah, man. Uh, going back to what you were talking about, the roots and the things of what, what we were listening to, we had the opportunity to sing. What did we do? We did the Sam Cooke, bring your sweet love and bring it all home to me. <laughs> and um, I think the thing I hate about moments like that is like, I would love it if we could have got together and had some more time to hang out. And, but always when you're doing stuff like that, it's like, okay, here you are, Rag and Bone Man. Here you are, yeah. Perfect Porter. Get together. In 15 minutes, we're going to be, uh, be recording. So yeah. get ready. That's yeah. how Jules is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For real. I, I don't know if you know how nervous I was that day because I didn't know the song. I knew the tune, but not the words that well. So I was like, right. oh, right. when it, Jules on the phone said to me, he was like, you know, bring it on home. I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. I know that. I know that right. for years. And then when it came to it, I was like, what the fuck are the Wait words for this song? I've been singing it for years, but singing the wrong words. So, right. but I kind of like yeah. being thrusted into those, um, to those moments, you know, sometimes, because it, it brings out the best of you now and again. That's exactly what I was going to say. So we were smashed on t- uh, stage together and it was cool. You know, I was singing the, the Sam Cooke part, you singing the Lou Rawls part. But yeah. I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed just the sound and the energy of your voice, no matter what you are singing, is just so, it's a, there's a command. Yeah. You have a command to, <laughs> your, your songs become commandments. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I, got that from, I got that from Muddy Waters, man. I can't take that as my own. <laughs> so, yeah. So the song I was listening to today was your, was your new single. Yeah. Can we talk to the words of that? Yeah. Is that okay? Of course. Yeah, run it down for me because, uh, you know, I had to go before I could, you know, pick apart the lyrics, but there was some real strength there. Tell me what that song is about. So I don't know what the things that you romanticize about your sort of childhood and teenage years, but for me, it was going to places like Brighton and and South London and um, going to those like spit and sawdust venues where bands would play and people would get drunk and it was just like, it felt like a really good time. And the places that I kind of remember when I was younger, like that big wall that had that graffiti piece on it, you know, that yeah. club, that club that used to play hip hop at 3am that you would go to yeah. after the gig. And these places that of like, for us, real like cultural importance. Cause if those places didn't exist, then the bands that were playing at the time wouldn't exist. Um, where, where would we be? Yeah. And like, it just got me thinking about how these places just become sanitized. And I, when I, when I go back and visit places, like I've been to Brighton to see my powers and I'm like, Oh yes, go, let's go to that club. Do you remember that place? And he's like, no, it's not there anymore, man. It's, it's a block of flats or it's a new coffee shop or whatever. It's just really sad. And um, yeah, and that's what I was trying to capture in the song. It was like a question: Is it like, is that all you ever wanted? Is that is 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 another coffee shop and a fucking haberdashery or like something that <laughs> something that we don't need in in place of something that we really needed? Yeah, and, and there's a few lyrics that I tried to capture in there, like 
You know, there's no painted trains on the underground, no kids with spray cans jumping over fences. It was like, you know, if you're sanitizing everything, it's like you're painting over everybody's artwork and putting out flats. And another one was, uh, I'm standing at li- in the line for the hole in the wall because people still need cash to buy their freedom. Is um, yeah. is when I lived in Brighton, the clubs that were open, there were the cash machines, the ATMs near those near those places. The homeless people would hang out by the cash machines, yeah, because. People would be in the clubs paying for their drinks over a, a visa card, but when they wanted to go and buy their drugs, they had to go cash get cash out. So yeah. they came from like people still need cash to buy their freedom to go and buy a bit of weed or whatever. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. I just I just tried to capture a feeling in that song of like, why is everywhere being sanitized? Yeah, you know? powerful messaging, powerful messaging in in the in the song and and. Uh... Vibe wise, you know, you close your eyes, there's somebody jumping around with a guitar as well in that song. But underneath it is still those driving blues. Mm. And that's in your voice. Yeah. It's just there. Yeah. Well, some, the someone, um, someone a few years ago gave me a really a useful piece of advice. It was someone that, from, from a record label that I met. And they said to me, oh, it doesn't really matter what you sing. You can you can kind of do anything because the bit that people will remember will be your voice over the top of it. So don't feel like you have to just do one lane. You know, you just feel like you can do whatever you want to do. And um, with this record, I kind of, I was like, oh, fuck it, I'm going to do exactly that. I'm going to make a, I'm, I'm going to make a bunch of s- singles that come out that sound, every song sounds totally different. It has a different yeah. vibe, you know. So that's, that's kind of what I did. I was like, I just want to, I'll make whatever music I want to make, regardless of kind of genre or whatever. I just want the songs to speak, yeah. speak to people. Where, where does that freedom come from? Did, did, did that happen on your own? Or was there some, well, uh, did you talk to some, somebody in the industry? Or was there some friends that said, man, just do your own, what, whatever the hell it is you want to do? I think um, I, I'm really lucky because uh, the people at Columbia, never they've never pressured me to do anything that I felt wasn't conducive to who I am as an artist. They were never like, oh, go and make this type of music because it'll sell good. It's like, just make what feels right to you to make. And I've always... Well, because you keep because you keep making hits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> they're basically what they're saying. Uh, just, just go along to yourself in that corner, <laughs> but keep making those yeah, hits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Was I, when we started making this new record, because I, I, it, it sounded so different. Yeah. And um, it's very much a sort of guitar-led record. There are piano songs and there are kind of ballady stuff on there as well, but it's, it leans on a very different set of influences to my previous album. Um, yeah. So I was kind of worried about playing it, and, and um, I played it to, to Julian from, from my record label, and I was I was getting ready. I was like, he's gonna say he doesn't. He's gonna fucking hate this. But it, they right. did. They didn't. They were like, dude, this is amazing. Like, you you should be really proud of this work. So, you know, it's it's good to follow your gut when music's concerned. I think. And the thing that you said earlier, the consistency and the authenticity of your voice is what will carry every song. I haven't ho- heard the whole project, but. It doesn't matter what they do with your songs. If they put that 
Ibiza, Ibiza beat, Ibiza, whatever yeah, you yeah. call it. If they put that beat on it, it's still cool. It's still you. You still carry the day. You still carry the message. So this is what I, this is what, this is my connection to you. A whole bunch of different connections. Mm. When, even what you said about those little small kind of juke joint places being the kind of being the cultivating place for a lot of great music. That's my story, man. Without the place that I talk about all the time, St. Nick's Pub, I don't know where I would be. Without that, without, without the laboratory and without the characters, because the music was influenced by the people who were list, was listening to the music, who was sanctioning. They were like, oh, yes, yeah, let me hear that 1960 what? Oh, let me hear that, you know, Be Good or Illusion, whatever, whatever the song. Yeah. They stamped it first. So, I, you know, we have that connection, but the connection that, that we, of messaging and whatever your message it is, it, you know, sometimes it doesn't even matter the cloak, the musical cloak that the message is put in, um, especially in this day and age where your, your stuff is going to get remixed a whole <laughs> bunch of times. Oh, yeah. Uh, authorized and unauthorized. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, you know, and that's cool. The, the messaging will be blasted in, in some dance club in South Africa and also on, you know, a lazy beach in the Bahamas. So yeah. <laughs> it's all good. Messaging, baby. Messaging. <laughs> yeah, man. I noticed um, in the, uh, the video for your new single, yeah. you have a... Uh, a fur-lined collar. You, I, I'm gonna just say it, man. I know we two, we two. You, you, you representing for the big guys, <laughs> but with that fur-lined collar, you look like a, a giant teddy bear. Yeah. But I, I, I did notice some new tattoos. Tell me about. Uh, uh, tell me about your. What's the story of of you and ink? People get crazy um, irate about tattoos these days. You know, which <laughs> I've I've learned this from. My new picture being online, you know, like the picture from the new record and people yeah. seeing that I've got these face tattoos and they were like, I can't believe that he's got a face tattoo. And, oh, why would he go and do that to his face? And I'm like, ah, I've got tattoos everywhere else all over. So it's, right. just, it's like three <laughs> inches from my face. I, I don't think I'm going to have to do an office job. I hope not. But I, I'll probably be all right, man. Um, I just I went. Is- I took the leap to get a face tattoo one day because yeah. my son he got to the point where he was just started to talk, um, and yeah. he was making sounds anyway, and um, he he would just walk along and drop stuff. You know, it'd be like a a sippy cup or whatever, and it, every time he would drop something, he would say, "Oh no." And I, I it just it was really funny to me. That's all he would say for ages was, "Oh no." So I, I, so I got a tattoo of "Oh no" written on my face because I, I I thought it was cool. Um, I love it. I love it, man. You know, and and, and when know. my son grows up, he'll be like, "What's that, Daddy?" I was like, "Well, that's you, man. That's that's you." So that's you. Yeah, that's you. Yeah, and it's you, man. It's just you being you and the authenticity, uh, the authenticity that you're putting in to your music. The messaging that you put in, in into your music, I suspect there's a lot more that we're gonna, you know, keep hearing from you and getting from you, 
And even though you're writing songs, optimistic, positive songs, you may have your son in mind, but there's probably tons of people out there absorbing all this, this positive and good energy that you put out there. I surely too. I, I picked up a good vibe from the, all of the songs. Maybe you, you, you've had a little experience working with um, my producer for my last record, Troy Miller. He, oh was, yeah, he, he uh, yeah. Me and him wrote uh, he was, the Giant song together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Troy's choice, yeah, killer been, man. Uh, he, we collaborated on my last record, All Rise, and yeah, and he's a really, really talented dude, and uh, and he always talks about you, and and you know, it's like you know. He's like, man, we got to get you guys in the room, man. You know? Oh, for real. He's <laughs> we gotta right, man. We got to get you guys He's... around the microphone. He is right. He's you know, right. one of these days we'll do it. Oh, yeah, yeah. for real. Yeah, yeah when, when, real... The, when the time is right, the yeah. stars are aligned. So I was going to say something about you, like experiences kind of firstly in the industry when you were just sort of starting out and uh, experiences that I have about it and how I feel about it now. And... um I wrote this song on my record called Anywhere Away From Here. And the song kind of represents me feeling quite uncomfortable at points of my career. Definitely when I first started to do stuff like TV shows and be, and be in rooms of people um, and just not feeling quite like I belonged in that environment. And as an adult, maybe feeling like I shouldn't be like that, but I did. And um I don't know how, how, how you feel about that, what your experiences are of, of, of feeling kind of comfortable where you are, you know, in, in, in that situation. There's a journey of feeling comfortable in your skin. And when I say comfortable in my skin, I mean even, you know, my black skin, going to different environments, whatever. But environments completely different from where I'm coming from. Coming from not a lot of money, coming from you know, not a lot of cultural outlets in which to express myself, not a lot of polish and shine (laughs) really on me. Um, It was a a gradual thing to feel comfortable in my skin. I think for me, and I I think your record deal came for you, were you after, after you were 30? I think just very, just before, like a year before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And well, mine, I didn't hit, you know, get a record deal until 38, something like that. So I'd had a life. I'd had some other disappointments. I had met a <laughs> bunch of fools already. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so at some point I just said, oh, another, th- I had been rejected. I had already been rejected hundreds of times. Yeah. And at the point at which I said, I'm just going to be me. I'm just going to make a record. That's me or one aspect, you know, of me. And as the years go by, I'll continue to make, you know, further expressions of who I am. But at the point I just said, y'all just going to get me. Yeah. You know, you're going to get me in my hat. You're going to get me in my style. You're going to get me in my voice. And that's, you know, somebody's got to accept it. You know, you know what I said, whether it sells a lot or whether it sells 500. This is what's going to be. Yeah. Oh, that's cool as hell, man. Because when I when I first started out, I kind of I kind of felt like maybe I wasn't good enough, or maybe people thought the music that I made wasn't cool enough, or it because it harked back to other eras of music, and they felt and I felt like I 
I was I was in a pop world, but not necessarily making what was considered kind of pop music, and um, maybe felt that I belonged somewhere in the underground of of whatever it was I was doing, and maybe not in the top forty or whatever. But I gradually, like you say, it is a journey, and you get to the place where you do feel comfortable. And I'm like, now I'm like, I f- I'm going to fucking own it, man, because. Whether or not you think my music's cool, <laughs> I think my music's cool. And there are people that do. So, you know, there's always going to be people out there. You know, music is subjective and some people are going to like it and some people ain't going to like it. And, you know, you can't worry yeah. about, you can't worry too much all the time about that sort of stuff. Eventually, a patina builds on your skin and a strength in your own vision comes about. Generally, it it can come from, it can be buttressed by the people that you're trying to, to get to, the fans. Ultimately, we have to thank them for, for a lot of the, of, of the confidence, swag, uh, bravado yeah. that they enjoy on stage. Yeah. Y'all can fuel it sometimes. Yeah. So, oh, for real. For real. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. If it wasn't for them. I think, I think you're like me coming from those, those same places of, self-doubt and insecurity, the ability to have a gradual journey, even though your last few years have been pow, <laughs> you know, they've been a hard hit, but yeah, uh, yeah. having a gradual journey, it's, it's been good. Yeah, man. It definitely, it definitely builds character. <laughs> All of those shows for like no money yeah. and, you know, I, I played shows for, uh, yeah. for, a, for a long time for some beer and some whiskey, you know, and that was it. Right, right. I had this this club because they had this special beer. I, they they could always call me, and I I was a sucker. They had this beer <laughs> called Corsendon. Yeah, and it was a dark, kind of sweet Belgian <laughs> beer, and they, they didn't have it nowhere else in uh, New York City. <laughs> so they're like, Gregory, we have we got chicken wings and Corsendon. Can you come and do a set? And I'm like, I'll be there. I'll be there <laughs> on Thursday. <laughs> yes, sir. So yeah. Yeah, man. Very cool. Rory, Rag and Bone Man, thank you so much for hanging out with me on The Hang. It's been an honor, and I really respect you as a musician. And uh, onward and upward, brother, and uh, thank you. Right, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, man. And another episode is done. Damn, they go quick. My friends, this is it for season two of The Hang. That's all, folks. I know, I know, don't worry, we'll be back. Thank you for listening, and big thanks again to the wonderful Rag and Bone Man and to all my guests. And I'm so looking forward to seeing you all again very soon. So until then, take care of yourselves. I am Gregory Porter, and this is The Hang, a Cup and Nuzzle production. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.